Good morning, Woodland Hills. Good morning. Good to see you all this morning. Dating is rough stuff. Would you agree to that? Oh, man, I never was any good at it. Uh, we're in a series on relationships and relatives and things of that sort. So today we're going to be talking about dating and marriage. Uh, we're going to see that uh, the principles that make for good kingdom dating also make for good kingdom marriages. Uh, so whether you're single uh, or married, we want you to be listening in on this and tuning in on what's going to be happening here. So the title of this message this morning is Say Yes to Arranged Marriages. They think, they think we're uh, kidding. <laughs> okay, so hang in uh, and you find out what we're uh, about on this. And I have with me this morning the lovely and highly esteemed, world-renowned social psychologist, Dr. Christina Cleveland. Give her a hand. <laughs> for a lot of reasons, one of which is that I haven't been single for a very, very long time. <laughs> 32 years last I called. So it's, it, we thought it'd be good to have somebody on stage who actually knows what they're talking about, uh, as opposed to what sermons usually are like here at Woodland Hills Church, where they have me doing this. So it may be good as just sort of a little um, introductory thing to uh, find out, uh, Christina, what is uh, like, uh, a memorable uh, experience you've had recently. You are single, right? I am single. Uh, but you are dating. Uh, so you're not really dating. available. Yes. You're single but not available. That's probably good to get out there. <laughs> Otherwise, it'd be a long line. Of, um, uh, and so, uh, yeah, uh, any experience you'd like to share with us or would not like to share, but I'm forcing you to share. Sure. Um, not too long ago, before I was started dating my boyfriend now, I went on a date with this guy, and he had recently read a book um, that talked a lot about how women um, need to be rescued, and the point of, a, of being a man is rescuing a woman from, I don't know what, from a lack of a Y chromosome or something. I'm not sure <laughs> what he was going to I'll rescue. save you. Yeah. So anyways, on our first date, he started telling me that he felt like he was supposed to rescue me, and that's what he was going to do, and I was the woman that he was going to rescue, and he kept saying it over and over and over again, and I got tired of him telling me that he was going to rescue me, and so I said, if you do not stop talking about this, I am going to go on the offensive, and someone's going to need to rescue you from me. <laughs> Smoking! <laughs> and then he didn't ask me out again. Oh, can you believe that? I know. <laughs> you intimidated him a little bit. All right. I, I never was any good at dating. I, I uh, uh, would, you know, most people here know that I've had, from the age of five on up, this obsession with death. I always wanted to talk about death and just, and so I, and I never was good at small talk. So the way I would avoid small talk on dates is I take them to a graveyard. Uh, and that was like my way of getting to know people. And Had a lot put, of first dates. Would you put the moves on him in the dark? Yeah. The yeah. The, 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 the monster mash. <laughs> Probably before your, your time. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so I, I had a lot of first dates, not so many second dates. It's amazing that uh, I ever got married when I come look, look back on it. <laughs> so we're looking at uh, dating and, and marriage in a kingdom framework. We want to be looking at all of this from a distinctly kingdom perspective because it changes everything. If you weren't here for the first uh, three of these messages, I encourage you to go back and listen to them because it lays a foundation uh, for it's kind of a, it builds, each message builds on the other. So the, the paradigm we're looking at is this. In the first century, um, we, uh, and this is by way of review, we, we, we saw that the father defined the family. Uh, the father had a complete authority over the family. Everyone's allegiance was to the father and the family. That was the primary allegiance, the foundation of the whole social structure in the ancient world. And the job of kids was to uh, live in a way that brought honor to the father, uh, to carry out the father's will, and then uh, to expand the father's family by getting married and having children. 
Everyone just sort of, of, of understood that's how it worked. And because the father had total authority over the family, marriages were always arranged by the father. Marriages were for the purpose of bringing honor to the father and carrying out the father's will and expanding the father's family. And so he would arrange them. Sometimes sons had veto power, saying, Dad, no way. Uh, and it depends on the relationship they had with the father. Sometimes they could say no to something that the father was arranging. But daughters never did, not in first century Judaism. And so father, the, the, the marriages were arranged for several purposes. Usually there was an economic factor involved. Uh, as in many traditional cultures, the, the daughter was sold. And so the father would sell the daughter to the highest bidder. That's called a dowry, a bride price. And, uh, and so it was to further the economic status of, of the family. Sometimes the marriages were arranged to kind of further the, the social status of the family. If, if uh, you had a daughter that somebody who was more wealthy or had a, a family in a, a so, higher social strata wanted to marry her, well, then it would be arranged for that reason. So there were sociological, financial, political factors involved in this. But the bottom line is that the father arranged the marriages. The father brokered the deal. Now, things have changed a little bit, I think. And so to get a perspective on more recent times, I turn it over to my esteemed colleague. So yes, things are a little bit different nowadays. We live in a Western individualistic culture, and so our dads don't arrange our marriages. We arrange them ourselves. We get to broker our own deals. And um, in general, that sounds like a good idea, but we also live in a really consumeristic society. And so we're all about getting what we want, when we want it, how we want it. And so um, this sort of feeds off of what Greg talked about last week, this idea that you know, without um, the Father being in our lives, God, our Father God being in our lives, we're all often kind of operating out of a vacuum or out of a void. And so we're just trying to consume anything. We kind of see the world with hungry eyes, looking for things that might fulfill us. And then we apply this to the whole dating scenario too. So we might look at people and think, you know, what can they do to fill the void in my life? What can they do to make me feel complete? How can they make my life awesome? How can they be exactly the person that I want them to be when I need them to be that person for me? And so as a result of that, men and women are often treated like property. So it's kind of similar to the, the more historical ancient times because people are reduced to things that, can, that we can sort of move around in order to make our lives better. Um, so some of the questions that people that I've heard or I've asked myself if I, as I've dated people are like, um, how much money does he make? Or um, will she be able to maintain that figure for the rest of her life? Maybe we should go see what her mom looks like so we can get a sense of what she's going to look like 30 years from now. Um, does his last name go well with my first name? Deep stuff like that. Deep, very yeah. deep. Um, does she satisfy my sexual needs? Mm -hmm. Even the weird ones. Is he educated enough? Um, does she have a good sense of humor, which I think is code for does she laugh at my jokes? And so, you know, oftentimes we're out there consuming as we're dating. I know when I was more of a consumer dater, um, not too long ago, I was really trying to, I was operating out of the vacuum in my soul. I felt like I wasn't beautiful and I needed some guy, it didn't really matter who it was, any guy would do, to tell me that I was beautiful over and over and over again. And it was a little bit unrealistic because I was expecting a guy on a first date to like express his sort of irrational, undying love for me um, and tell me that he needed my beauty in his life to survive. And if I didn't get that on the first date, then I was kind of like, eh, he doesn't really meet my needs next. You know, I'm going to mm. move on. Um, and so I've been a consumer dater. I've also been a target or prey of consumer dating, and that's not really fun either. I um, can think of a time when this one guy sort of 
said that he heard from God that we were supposed to start dating and maybe start moving towards marriage. And so he called me up and I thought he was going to ask me out on a date. But what he actually did was kind of um, interview me. Um, it, it's sort of a, a um, I guess he was pre-screening me before he actually took me <laughs> like out on a date. Yeah. Um, and so he was asked, he's kind of spent the first 20 minutes of our phone conversation outlining his five to 10 year plan. And then he asked me to specifically address the ways that I saw myself fitting into and sort of enhancing his plan and helping him move along towards Lovely. this plan. Real um, romantic, this one. Yeah, then he asked me whether, um, you know, what I thought about gender roles. And then I wasn't sure what he meant until he started talking about how he wanted me to homeschool his children. His children, like these hypothetical children that we were supposed to have, but they would be his. Um, and then he asked me if I would move into this commune um, with he and his friends and sort of like be his servant and concubine. I mean, he didn't use those terms, but that sort of seemed to be the gist of it. Um, and this whole time I was working on my dissertation, I was busy doing my life and he never once asked me at all. Like, Hey, what do you care about in life? Or who are you? Or, you know, what, what's interesting to you? So it's interesting because that's sort of like Christian consumer dating. You know, we, we kind of have an agenda and we want someone to fulfill our agenda to see, to sort of add to whatever it is that we're doing in life. And, um, it might look a little more spiritual, but it's still just consumer dating in the end. Um, so this consumeristic model really feeds off the idea of the, the myth of romantic completeness that, that Greg yeah. talked a lot about last week. If I just find the right person who acts the way that I want them to and does what I need them to do, then I will feel complete. So if I think that you know sexual um, intimacy is going to make me feel complete, then I might cross tons of physical boundaries. I might plow through as many sexual partners as I need to in order to feel that, in, in order to sense that fulfillment, even if it's just for a fleeting moment. Or if I think that um, um, emotional intimacy is going to make me feel complete, I might try to have what I call emotional one-night stands, where you kind of go like really deep with one guy for for like one night and you bare your soul and maybe he bears his soul and you talk about your deepest desires and it seems like just for that moment that you're the only two in the inner the universe the only two people in the universe and then the next day it's kind of awkward because you're like i don't know his last name but i know like his greatest fears and it's just weird right so i think of those as emotional when i stands but that can sort of like make us think oh i'm fulfilling this need it doesn't matter sure. whether i'm crossing emotional boundaries um, i'm getting what i need it doesn't matter what's happening with that other person mm -hmm. or i might think that maybe I need some affirmation and some attention. That's going to fulfill me. And so if I can find a trophy boyfriend or if I can find a trophy girlfriend who looks awesome and is hot and everyone says, whoa, look at that person. I can't believe you're with them. They can draw attention to me. And even if just for a moment, I can find fulfillment in that, I'm going to do that. That's probably why Shelly married me, I'm thinking. Um, oh, definitely. Trophy husband. Definitely. For sure. You are trophy material. Who can blame her? I yep. mean, really. Um, so anyways, you know, the, the old historical approach um, to relationship building was really consumer driven, right? Women were sold off, but the current approach is pretty consumer driven too. Mm. So we don't really want to go back to the old model. Women were dehumanized. That's, that wasn't a good thing. We don't want to go back to that. But the current model is not exactly great either because in the end we're consumers and we're kind of stuck in this bottomless pit the myth of romantic completion is in fact a myth um, we're just going to keep sinking deeper and deeper into this pit because it doesn't satisfy you know that that's i think uh, true even after you're married um, in marriages if 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 people have this their, their core needs not met and they they're looking at the world through hungry eyes well they they just continue to use their spouses in different mm -hmm. ways 
Um, and maybe it's not quite as overt as it is in the marketplace when you're shopping for the best product. Uh, but, but it is still true after you've got the product. And that's why there's sometimes continual conflict in marriages because people keep trying to make each other something that they're not uh, to fill this, this hole in the soul. The thing that's distinct about the kingdom and everything is, is found, found, founded on this. And we talked about this uh, in the previous weeks as well. But the most distinctive thing that the kingdom does, and the first thing that coming into the kingdom does, is it fills that hole in the soul. Uh, when we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, that vacuum that is there, it, it, it's a God-given vacuum. Uh, that we all need to feel loved, unsurpassably loved, and have unsurpassable worth, and have unsurpassable significance. That's why no human being can possibly meet that need. But it's there as a homing device to drive us uh, to God and, and to become dependent on God. And when we come to him, there's a fullness we find that nothing in this world can give, that no relationship in this world can give, that no achievement in this world can give. It says in Colossians that in Christ, the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in bodily form. And that, uh, that in Christ, we have been brought to fullness. And the idea there is that, that the fullness of, of all that makes God God is in Jesus Christ. And when we come into the kingdom, we're incorporated into Jesus Christ, which means we participate in that fullness. He, God shares his life with us. And so as we come in the same way that fathers give and, 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 and mothers give biological life to their children, so also when we come into the kingdom, uh, we are given the, the, the life of the Father. Abba pours his life into us, his spirit into us, his fullness into us. And so there is within us, it will tap into it, which we often don't, uh, but it will tap into it and not be caught in the lies in our head about what we're not. We tap into that. There is, Jesus says, a river of living water, praise God, that flows out of us. It just gushes out of us. And, and so that means you don't need to be doing life uh, with this desperation, where you're looking at the world through hungry eyes, and you're dating through hungry eyes, and you're being married through hungry eyes. Uh, no, no, now, now we can live life out of a center of celebration rather than out of a center of desperation. And it changes everything. Now, it's also true that even though we... Uh, our, our core needs can only be met in, in our relationship with Christ. Our core identity and significance and security, all that can only be given uh, through, through our, our relationship with, with Christ. But it still is the case that we're made in the image of the triune God, and so we're made for relationships. Uh, we, we talked about this last week. We, we only reflect the way God made us when we are in deep, committed, loving relationships with others. That's why it says in Genesis that it's not good for, uh, for a man to be alone. Or a woman. It, it, what? It's not good for a woman to be alone. Oh, man or woman, you're right. It's not good for any human being to be alone. I'm going with a TNIV translation here. But see, you don't need to be married to do that. We all need deep, committed, loving, uh, fulfilling relationships, but not all are called to be married. We talked about that last week. But if a person isn't given the gift of being single, then it's going to be natural for them to want to reflect the image of God by entering into a marriage relationship. So it's okay to want to be married, but we shouldn't need to be married to be fully alive. And to feel full and to feel complete. Our, our life is, is only found in Jesus Christ, which really changes the purpose for dating and also the purpose for marriage. Because if the purpose isn't to, isn't to meet the innermost needs, well, then what is the purpose? And from a kingdom perspective, the purpose is not to meet those innermost needs, but rather the purpose is to carry out Abba's will. It's to reflect the beauty of God and the image of God by carrying out Abba's will. And so just like in the first century, the earthly father... Mar uh, would arrange the marriages to further, out, further his, his purposes. So also, um, uh, in the kingdom, we're to be seeking to have our Abba Father arrange our marriages so that we can carry out his purpose in our relationships and in, in our dating and in our marriages. So that leads to the question, then, what is the purpose of marriage uh, according to Abba Father? 
And Christina and I put our heads together and boiled it down to three basic things. The first one is that marriage reflects the image of God, the, 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 the triunity of God, the love of God in a unique way. All relationships reflect the, the triunity of God, but God by his own design made it so that marriage does it in, in, a, in a distinct way. Not in a superior way, but just in a different way. And some are called to enter into this. Uh, there's something about the one flesh relationship and the sexual intimacy that goes with the one flesh relationship that uniquely puts on display the, the, the unity of God and, and the love of God. A sexual union is a sign of the covenant, and that's only allowed in God, God's will in the context of marriage. And so when, when, when two couples come together out of fullness, it doesn't work if you come out of emptiness. But if you come out of fullness and come together and share that fullness and share that, that intimacy and share that sexual union, you're putting on display the, the beauty of the triune God. And that is an end in and of itself. That's one of his purposes for marriage. Another thing that's really cool about marriage is that it can often lead to character refinement. Life in Christ... It always leads to character refinement. <laughs> <laughs> that's the goal. Yeah. Um, you know, life with Christ is all about character refinement um, and right. becoming more conformed to, to Christ. And so sometimes life isn't easy because the, the point is for us to be more like Christ, and that's not always pleasant. So if you feel called to marriage, then God's going to use marriage, too, to conform you to himself, which might mean that marriage is not always going to be pleasant. Um, and I think that's hard to kind of get your mind around if you're stuck in the consumer mindset of dating, because you're just thinking, well, I'm only going to get married if it makes me happier. If it doesn't make me happier, then forget about it. That's the more consumer mindset. But if we uh, have more of a kingdom mindset towards marriage and dating, we can think, well, um, I'm going to get married because this is what Abba's calling me to do, and that's going to make me more like him. So I think this really changes the way that we date. If I'm a consumer dater and I'm in a relationship and there's some sort of incompatibility that arises, some sort of conflict, um, I might be really tempted to bail on the relationship because it's not fun. It's not adding more awesomeness to my life in that moment. But if I have more of a kingdom mindset as I'm approaching dating, I can think, well, maybe God's trying to do something to my heart and my character in the midst of this conflict or this incompatibility. So case in point, my dad often says that um, it, he's really glad that he married my mom before he got a chance to know her, because if he had gotten to know her better, he never would have married her. <laughs> and the reason why he says that is because, you know, he now understands that, you know, she's the best thing that ever happened sure. to him. But they got married young, and they got married fast. And he didn't realize that they were incompatible in some really significant ways, that she has a different perspective than him, that she has some idiosyncrasies, that um, you know, that she's, she's imperfect in ways that maybe he would want her to be perfect. Just because mm. he was kind of looking at her from a consumer standpoint. You know, I need someone to be exactly who I want them to be all the time. When he found himself married to her, he was sort of stuck in it. And he was just like, okay, well, I'm going to go with it. Um, and it turns out that God was able to refine his character. He now realizes that her perspective has actually made him better. Um, her, her idiosyncrasies, her, her so-called imperfections have actually helped him to see the world in a different way and to become more like Christ. So now 33 years later, they're happily married. He's way more awesome than he ever was before. And I give a lot of credit to my mom for that because she, you know, it says in scripture, iron sharpens iron. You know? right. So I give credit to my mom. I give some credit to God. It's great. Iron sharpens iron. Husbands sharpen wives. Wives sharpen husbands. Strong ones. Uh, yeah, that, that, there you go. Yeah. Um, but uh, you might want to, you know, think about not married couples here on, you know, your anniversary or something. It's not really a good line to say, you know, I just thank God that if I had known you, I never would have married you. Uh, it, 
<laughs> keep that keep that part to yourself. Not not the best romantic line. Yeah, I in the think world. my dad told me that that, but he's never told her. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if I, it's a good idea. To, I'm just saying. It's just uh, yeah. He knows what to say. But it is yeah. true. It is true. And, and in, in marriages as well. I mean, um, mar- marriage is is you know one of God's great ideas for character refinement. I've often told people, you know, we often go into marriages thinking it's going to make us happier, and I think in the long run it will, but. Uh, God's plan is to say, oh, I can really, I can use this to refine characters and uh, and bring them into conformity with with uh, Christ. Uh, and so again, uh, in in, the, in a consumer model, people often bail in marriages. This isn't making me happy, but in a kingdom perspective, that's not the point. Uh, it may not be making you happy right now, but it is building your character. And so uh, stay in there. I guess with the rare exceptions where there's abuse going on or unfaithfulness. But otherwise, you stay in there and let God do his refining work. Okay, a third way, a third purpose that Abba Father has for marriage is that he wants a couple to function as sort of a dynamic duo for the kingdom. Uh, when, when Abba Father sees that there's two individuals who aren't called to be single, um, and when he sees that they could do more for the kingdom to further his reign together than they could do individually... Well, then God will start to work to arrange that marriage and bring these two together. Um, it's like a, an explosive dynamite thing. You get together and, and there's just, you know, the, the, the sum is more than the parts. And um, so it may be that the, the duo is there to, um, uh, to just further Abba's family by, by having children or by adopting children. That's one of the purposes. Uh, maybe that the duo is there to further the, the Abbas family uh, through evangelism and by uh, building bridges with unbelievers and inviting them in, into their homes. It certainly is the case that um, uh, the dynamic duo is there for some kinds of ministry, to work together in ministry that, that furthers the kingdom, uh, whatever that ministry may be. Uh, Shelly and I, I think, make a very good dynamic duo. Shelly is my wife. And the truth of the matter is that I could not at all be doing what I do if I did not, if I was not in partnership with her. I second uh, that. For, for, you yes. second that. Yeah, you've kind of seen it in operation. I mean, for example. She's the brains behind the operation. She's the total brains behind the operation. Uh, it's, uh, I, I can't organize a drawer. I am just, uh, you know, just frazzled. My head's always in the cloud. Yesterday, I made an appointment. We, we had a time uh, where Christine and I were going to get together at 3.30 here in the office to go over our, our, our material. And I forgot that I had already booked that time um, because I didn't go through Shelly. See, even friends have to go through Shelly to uh, make appointments because I will forget them or double book or whatever. I'm an organizational train wreck. But she's there and, and, and we compliment each other like this. Uh, she runs my life and I appreciate that and I love that. Uh, we have very different gifts and very different personalities and that's the iron sharpening iron thing sometimes because uh, it's very, very different. But if you can work through that, there's a complementarity that is there. And she's also just a constant source of encouragement and spiritual insight. Uh, she sees stuff that I would never see. And, and so God uses her to grow me, and I, God uses me to grow her. And, and it's, it's a team thing. We work together uh, with Providence Ministries to uh, help kids in Haiti. And we work together uh, to help disabled people in, this, um, uh, in, in a housing complex. So there's just a lot of ways that God uses us. And, and, and I, I think we wouldn't be able to do individually what we do for the kingdom, uh, what we do together. Uh, it's a dynamic duel. And, and for married folks who are here, uh, you know, it may be the case that when you got married, the last thing you were thinking about was the kingdom. Probably most people who get married uh, do so with a consumer model. And so you're saying to yourself, gosh, I wish I would have known then what I know now. But see, it doesn't matter. You are married, and so it's Abba's will that you're married. And so now you say, Abba, how would you arrange our marriage now that it's here? And, he, and, and let him bring a purpose to it. And so there is a purpose for every kingdom marriage that goes beyond 
just the family, just this nuclear family idea that we have. It goes beyond just you and your kids. Uh, it's, it's a purpose about furthering the kingdom in some way. And so I really encourage married couples to sit down and say, you know, what, what is God calling us to do together? And, uh, and further his kingdom in that way. Amen. Okay, now, now let's get really practical. Uh, Christina, what practical difference does this kingdom paradigm make on, on how people go about entering into marriages and then applying that to marriages? What practical difference does it make? Well, I think the big, huge difference is that rather than just going out and looking for someone based on the criteria that you've set for yourself, you ask God, hey, who do you want me to date? Who do you think I should consider marrying? So, I mean, I think it's important to think about issues of compatibility, whether you're attracted to that person, of course. I mean, those issues are important. But I think our biggest question, our biggest um, sort of issue should be, Abba Father, who do you want me mm. to marry? Do you want me to marry this person or that person? We uh, talked to a person last night who said that uh, why, uh, issues of compatibility and attraction and stuff are, are um, you know, play a part in this. Um, so we have to be willing to let Abba's Father call us to people that maybe we're not attracted to initially. Mm-hmm. And she talked about how uh, it was really interesting. Mm-hmm. She had no attraction for the guy whatsoever. But she had a distinct impression that God was saying, marry that person. It wasn't until she was walking down the aisle that all of a sudden she started feeling in love uh, with this person, which was a very, very good thing. Okay, so how do you go about uh, knowing uh, Abba Father's will? Um, well, what I, one thing that I think is hard is it's hard to know whether it's possible that God is calling you into a missional marriage relationship if you don't have a personal sense of mission. So I think the first thing to do if you're dating or you're single is to think, gosh, God, what do you want me to do? What, like, I, what is your plan for me separate from everybody else, any other relationship? What are you calling me to do? I think that oftentimes, especially Christian women think that, um, you know, their mission for life is going to come when a guy comes into their life and tells them what their mission is going to be, or they just sort of co-opt his mission. Um, but I think that God wants to have, wants to give us each a personal mission and mm-hmm. the person that he brings into our life will complement that mission, but they certainly aren't going to entirely define the mission. So I encourage people seek God's will for your life. Ask him, what do you want me to do now? How do you want me to impact the kingdom now? And that might evolve over time, but as soon as you get any sense of that mission or that, or his will for your life, I would say jump right in, start serving, start moving in that direction you know, apply to grad school, do whatever it is that you think God's calling you to do and move in that direction. So don't wait until you get married to start making big impacts in the kingdom and mm-hmm. taking it really seriously. Excellent. But I'd also say too, that when, when you do start getting into a relationship, um, to bring that person alongside you in your missions and try to figure out ways that God wants you to serve together for the kingdom. So I would say, don't wait to get married to be the dynamic duo. Even as a, in a dating relationship, you mm. can be a dynamic duo. Even if that dating relationship doesn't last forever. I know my boyfriend and I spend a lot of time asking God, praying, hey, what do you, how do you want us to impact the kingdom, our church, our world now? And so we're really involved in ministry together and it's really fun and um, it's great because I think sometimes dating can be really artificial. Yes. It's not as much like marriage as we like to think it is because you're usually like putting in, you're like, you usually smell good and you like usually put forth <laughs> your best um, you know, foot in totally your best artificial. effort. Yeah, you know, and like you're always in a good mood when you're around each other and that you brush kind of your stuff. Teeth and exactly. It's, so it's really different than marriage where totally. everyone's just gross all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think um, you know, the more that you can serve together and mm-hmm. see each other when maybe you're tired or you're stressed out or when you're tired of giving and serving, but you're still doing it anyway, then that can give you some insight into whether God's bringing you together. Or not. I think that's that's yeah. so important. Uh, the, the, whole, the way we've set up dating in, in the culture is based on a consumer model. 
You, know, you go out and you try the product. Really, that's what they're doing is, is like, you know, testing the product. And it's a total artificial kind of situation. Uh, you're all dressed up. You look good. You smell good. Yep. Hair's done just right. But you start, so start serving together. I think, I think that's brilliant. And, and that's the best way, I think, to discern, okay, are we a dynamic duo? Because maybe, you know, you make, you go to movies really nice and, and whatever, but when you get together and start serving, maybe it's like you start rubbing each other wrong, and now you're discerning that we're not a dynamic duo, so we'll just be friends and, uh, and, and move on. That's good. Uh, several months ago, I did a series on discerning God's will, and one of the things I talked about there in discerning God's will, which I think is foundational, is for folks to, um, uh, was, is, is rooted in, in Psalms 37, where the, the, the psalmist says, Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And, and when, what I take that to mean is that if, if our delight is in the Lord, uh, our sense of fullness of life, our completeness is found in the Lord, then the desires that are on our heart will be the ones that he put there. He'll give us the desires of our heart. And so what we just need to do is to get in touch with those desires, with the, the, our core desires. So I encourage people to, in a time of prayer, um, to just sort of envision a future with regard to whatever possibilities are before them. When there's any major decision in dating, it's whether I should date this person or not. It's really interesting that Christina there said, be doing this before you even go out on a date. Like, should, do, should I date this person? Because you shouldn't be doing that unless there's at least the possibility that Abba Father is calling you to enter into a marriage with them. So you, you consider that. Should I marry them or not? Um, or, but it can't apply to anything about, about a purchase you're going to make um, or other friendships that you're going to uh, be involved in or ministries you're going to be involved in. And so I encourage people to offer up their imagination to the Lord in a state of prayer and just ask the Holy Spirit to play out a future. If you say yes to this option, uh, what will that look like? And if you say yes to that option, what will it look like? And as you do that over a period of time, uh, uh, just look at which one of those options gives you a sense of congruity or peace or rightness on the inside. And all other things being equal, that's the one that most likely is, is Abba Father's will. He's saying yes to that. Yes, I agree. I think that it's so great to ask God to like, you know, take over our imagination and give us some insight into what he's calling us to do. I also think that um, it's good to keep in mind that God is relational and that pretty much everything that he does is, is through community. And so he can speak to us through community, too. So I think, Absolutely. you know, seek his will individually and then also call, call some people and ask them to, like, seek God with you, alongside you, and discern God's will for you and for your relationship. So I would say involve a, a community of people um, and also involve them just so that they can kind of track with you and see if you're still getting your fullness from Christ or if you're starting to get your fullness from the relationship, because I think that's an easy temptation when you're dating. Um, I know I meet with some women who I trust, and they kind of know what questions to ask me um, and things that are, you know, just kind of going on in my life, and then they can make, make sure that I'm just sort of focused on the right things at the time. Um, so that's something I think is huge, community um, accountability through that. I also think it's just good to, like, keep um, everything in the open, kind of have a covenant about openness. I have a couple of rules that I just use to help me sort of stay accountable and just um, out of darkness. And so one is I just, I try to, I always leave my boyfriend's house by midnight at the latest. Um, and I just, we kind of jokingly talk about how, you know, nothing good ever happens after midnight because the Holy Spirit goes to sleep, which of course we know the Holy Spirit doesn't really go to sleep, but you know, just this idea that, you know, it's probably good to just go our separate ways. You probably don't know the song, but there's a few people after midnight. 
You don't let it all hang out. <laughs> after no, I don't know that. that song was in the '60s or '70s. After Men. is this your well, band sing that song? I, I, you know, we don't, but we probably should. No, <laughs> yeah. probably shouldn't. Well, we'll, we'll turn the lyrics to reflect your truth. After midnight, okay. nothing good happens. Because the Holy Spirit goes yeah, yeah, to okay, sleep. Okay, okay. okay, let's move on. Um, <laughs> so that's one thing. Another thing is, um, we are really big on uh, bringing everything into the light. We, meaning my boyfriend and I. So um, Satan is the prince of darkness. Absolutely. And when things are secret, when things are hidden, um, that's when he can, you're just inviting him to come in and that's wreak true. havoc in your life and make temptation way harder than it needs to be. Um, and so we're really big on just bringing everything in the light. We talk uh, very candidly with our parents, with our pastor, with sort of our pastors and spiritual parents, with accountability partners. And we kind of have this understanding that anything that happens in our relationship is fair game to be told to really anyone that we trust. Perfect. Um, and so that's really helpful. That's so good. Uh, that that uh, principle applies to marriage. Um, with couples, I would I would encourage you to uh, have this rule that uh, you never keep any secrets from one another, uh, unless it's a good secret that you're going to surprise the person with for an anniversary or something. But you know, the minute we the minute we do anything in secret, uh, it, it, it's like putting a, you know a, a cupping our, our hands over our eyes. There's darkness there, and and like Christina said. The Prince of Darkness is called the Prince of Darkness because he's the Prince of Darkness. He needs darkness to operate. Darkness fuels him. Secrecy, hiddenness. Nothing good comes after midnight. And, 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 and nothing good comes when... That's because you're, you're closing the doors and, and, and you're keeping things in secret. So uh, I encourage you to have a commitment to one another to speak truth to one another. If there's stuff that's going on in your lives that you can't tell your spouse, then that probably is stuff that shouldn't be going on. All other things being equal. It, 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 keep an open policy on this. Uh, it's also true for, for married couples that they need to be in, embedded in broader communities. It's true for the individual. It's true for married couples. Uh, and we need people that we are committed to, that we speak truth to, that speak truth to us. There are, unlike in a dating relationship, there is you know, certain things in a marriage that don't need to be shared with anybody else. That's the privilege of the marriage covenant. Uh, but um, outside of that, we, we need to have people who have, we need extra eyes looking into our life. If we're going to be a dynamic duel, that means you're going to have to swim upstream in the culture because we manifest the values of the kingdom, which fundamentally contradict the values of the world. And the thing is, is we are such creatures of, of conformity that if we don't have people around us, a broader community that is speaking into our life, we will be conforming in ways we don't even notice. Our lives are just going to be little, you know, we'll just be looking like standard America for you Americans uh, with a little bit of Christian flavoring on it, but they're not going to be fundamentally kingdom. We need other people around us uh, and, and, and who can notice when we're starting to go astray, with notice when we're starting to conform to culture, notice when our, when our, 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 our spending doesn't line up with our values, uh, when we're maybe not uh, spending enough time with our kids or our spouse or a million other things. And so, so we all need community. This idea of the nuclear family kind of isolated from everybody else, is simply an extrapolation of, this, uh, of the individualism that r- runs rampant in our culture. And it's just like the individual family, it's all self-contained. And that is just, it's not biblical, and it's a prescription for disaster. We're meant to be part of a broader community. I, I, I want to st- uh, start heading down the runway here, uh, bringing this to a close by, by addressing one other issue, and it's this. As we're saying, you know, we've been saying, say yes to arranged marriages. In other words, let God arrange uh, the, uh, your, your marriage. Uh, I know that there are going to be people hearing this, maybe a lot of people who are going to be saying, look it, I've been asking God to arrange a marriage for me for 10 years and nothing has happened, maybe 20 years, maybe 30 years. And, and maybe there's even a little bit of anger around that because you don't feel called to being single. A part of you wants to be married and yet you've been praying and yet nothing has happened. 
Um, and then, you know, folks will come around you and give you these cliches about how, well, you know, God's timing is always the right timing, or it must not be God's will for you to be married, or, or, or maybe you're not praying enough, or, or, you know, not fasting enough, or maybe God's just trying to teach you something, and none of those are, are, are uh, of any help. And then there are folks who have maybe felt led. They felt like God was saying yes to a relationship, and they get into that relationship, and then it turns out to be terrible. Whether it's a dating relationship, or maybe they actually got married, and it turned out to be terrible. Uh, there's unfaithfulness and abuse and other things. And these folks get mad at God saying, thanks a lot. Nice job arranging things. You know, this is, you were setting me up for this. This is the best you could do. Um, and there can be a lot of anger and a lot of hurt around that. And to, to that, I just say this. It's always important to remember that people have free will. People have free will. And so to say that God arranges things, it does not mean, at least we don't mean, that God's controlling everything or going to manipulate people to bring them into a relationship. I don't think God ever does that. People are free, and God wants them to be free because without the potential of freedom, they don't have the capacity to love or the capacity not to love. When we say God arranges things, what we mean by that is this, that if we're listening to him and seeking his will, he will lead us in, in, in certain directions uh, that will be conducive to having a kingdom marriage. And he'll be influencing things. He influences, he just never coerces. He'll be influencing to, to try to bring together uh, a couple that will be a dynamic duo for the kingdom. But because the world's populated with free agents, it means that you can be seeking God to arrange your marriage. It doesn't mean it's going to happen. And even if it does happen, it doesn't mean that's going to, there's no guarantee that's going to go right because people change of their own free will. And so to those who are frustrated because you've been praying uh, to, for, to find a spouse and it hasn't happened or, or, uh, you're hurt because of a relationship that backfired, or maybe you're now in a marriage that, that you feel is just completely sucky, and, and um, it's not at all what you had planned on. I just encourage you, whatever else you do, don't blame God. Don't blame God. It's so sad that when we're in situations where we need God the most, when, when life is at its suckiest, we need God the most, but many people get mad at God for the suckiness, thinking that he was the one arranging it, and so we push God away. Now, I, I encourage you to just... Uh, when you're in a state of frustration and pain like that, don't blame God. Rather, go to God. Go to God. Lean on God. He's always on your side. He's always good. God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. Life is not. Life is not. Dating often isn't. Marriage often isn't. But God is. And, and, and so use the pain of your situation to drive you closer to Christ, to get all your life from Christ. So even though you may be frustrated because you're not married, at least don't be operating out of a center of desperation. Uh, it's, you want to be married, yeah, that, that, there's a pain in that, but, but be operating out of a center of fullness. Be a complete human being whether you ever get married or not. And then I encourage folks to uh, be cultivating uh, loving friendships, uh, whether you're married or not. Romance is nice, but you don't need it to have fulfilling, wonderful friendships that meet other human needs in, in our life. So be seeking God. Don't push him away. Embrace him. Also, because there are lots of other variables that influence things besides God's will, I think it's really important for single people to be okay with like putting effort into looking for a potential spouse. I think we often think, oh, well, I'm going to let Abba Father arrange things, and so we just sit on our butts and just hope that God like plops someone in our laps, um, which doesn't really make sense because he's Abba Father wants to partner with us in some of the cool things that he's doing in our lives and in the kingdom, and so I think it's important for single people to be seeking his will. Like, what do you want me to do? What part do you want me to 
to play in um, bringing this potential spouse into my life or drawing closer to that person. So I think just asking God, hey, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to start uh, volunteering somewhere? Do you want me to move somewhere else? Do you want me to start looking online? You know, just asking God and being willing to participate in the process mm-hmm. is really important. I think that's right. Cool. So in it's like some- the marriage stork, you know, the, mar- the marriage stork. Some people are yeah. like, oh, God, I just trust you to bring me a spouse. And I think it's a giant marriage stork is going to come along like the stork with babies. You're getting the connection yeah. there. I don't know if you got And just drop, you know, the spouse in the lap. There's Mr. or Mrs. Wright right there. Not Mrs. Wright. Not, right. If, if, it's, if it's a Mrs., uh, then that's not right. Yeah. Yeah. Miss Wright. Uh, Miss Wright. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> Okay, right, yeah. <laughs> so in summary, uh, we in came sum, up with four points that we think would be four points, worth four taking away from there today. Okay, so number one, whether you're single or married, get all, all your, your life, life from, from Christ. Christ. Okay, number two, whether you're single or married, seek first the kingdom yeah, of God. God. So if you're single and you're dating, date in order to further Abba's, Abba's purposes. If you're married, commit to being married in order to further um, Abba's purposes. Be the dynamic duo. Um, number three, number three, whether you're single or married, do it in community, community with, with other people. And number four, whether, I heard you, say this before, so whether you're married or single, that that we do don't blame God for the suckiness yes. of life. So God. God is always good. He's always working things for our good. Work with God to bring the suck out of life and transform it with good things. Yes. Amen. Amen. That, that, that's nice. You said, or maybe I said, you said. I, uh, uh, <laughs> bring the, uh, suck the suck, suck out of you. the suckiness. Yeah. Yes. Let God suck the suck out of suckiness and transform the suckiness into something less sucky. Yes. There you go. Sucky, sucky, sucky. Yeah, right. God is good. We're very poetic, you know. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah, wonderful. Amen. Amen. Good job. Praise God. All right. I'm going to close in prayer, and as I do, I, I want to invite the prayer teams to come forward, and if you're here and have any need whatsoever that you would like to have prayed for, uh, whether it's about dating or marriage or something completely different, I encourage you to come and, and get prayer, and everything you share up here will be uh, held in complete confidence. Uh, Lord, we just thank you for being our Abba Father. We thank you, God, for being a God who fills us with fullness of life. Help us, God, to always be tapping into that infinite reservoir of life and living out of that fullness rather than emptiness. Father, we pray for those who are in dating relationships that you would, God, uh, be working in their hearts and lives to make them a kingdom thing and protect them from the evil one who always would try to use something beautiful uh, for evil purposes. And God, just help them bring that relationship, that potential relationship, in line with you. And we pray for the marriages here, God. I pray that your spirit be working in in each couple to uh, give them a complete openness towards one another and to be embedded in a community with, with whom they can be open and to be building those marriages to be kingdom marriages so that they can, wherever they're at now, they're moving in the direction of becoming a dynamic duo for the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name we pray and all of God's children said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Go out and build the kingdom.